0: Now introducing the Minor Wisdom Trio. Minor Wisdom. This week is a part of the playwright series uh, that I'm hoping to get a few more playwrights. But I've got another one that hasn't been released. Uh, I've got actually two that haven't been released on free potting. Uh, there are a couple that are behind the paywall. If you join the Patreon. You can hear them early. Uh, this one has been there for a while. There it is. Uh, but this one with uh, Bernardo's been there for a little bit now. Uh, I think I've screwed up a couple things on the Patreon side, but I'm fixing them. so I would love to have you there. So I've got Bernardo Cubria and one of the you know one of the funny things that I heard on the Smartless podcasts. I believe it was Smartless or Conan O'Brien or something. One of the guests was saying how it's not a secret to any of the fans. It's only a secret to... Yeah, it was the Smartless. It was only a secret to the two guys that it wasn't the guest of. And really, that's it. Because when the podcast comes out, the title of the podcast is the person, is the secret. So I say all that to say, I don't know why I always... Say who was on the podcast? Considering I write their name in the title of the podcast, but anyway, it is T X E T A week, and I could not be—I know my monotone voice wouldn't tell you—but I couldn't be more excited, um, because I'm going to see my people. I'm going to see the people I miss the most, the teachers. Uh, I'll you know, there'll be some students there. I remember last year, I had a great time with some of the SFA and other students that were there. There were other students that were there, St. Jack, SFA, uh, Panola College, all those students, and have a great time with them, and I'm going to have a great time with my teacher people, my people that I will be a part of again one day. I have made the decision um, just, I'm not quitting Covenant, but I've made the decision that I will go back to the classroom. Like It's going to happen at some point, it's not going to happen anytime soon. I'll, I'll sow my oats with uh, the the few things that I'm doing outside of the covenant world. But I'm not like my wife. My wife, when she quit the classroom, said she's never going back. And I don't agree with her. I think she will be going back at some point. I don't know if it'll be anytime soon, but I've already made the decision. I'm, I, just, I miss the classroom too much. Um, so I am at some point in my life... Going to go back to it, uh, but not anytime soon. You know, I'm gonna. I'm having a good time at Covenant. Um, you know, uh, helping uh, teachers when I can. Uh, I'm in a lot of churches, a lot of churches. No, I'm not burning. Uh, but um, you know, recently I was able to uh, train a, a few students at at a school um, in the Houston area, and I had a great time. So, like, if you need that type of stuff, give us a call. It's really not for what it is. Um, it's not expensive. You can, you know, it's, it's, it's a rather cheap thing, especially for the return that you're going to get on having, excuse me, having, uh, especially someone that knows how education works, uh, in your space, teaching you how to use consoles. Right. And it's been really fun and I really, really enjoy it. I very like it's, you won't see me light up more when i'm helping students for an hour to just kind of learn consoles and so i was at this one school for 90 minutes it flew by like it just felt like it was 90 seconds really and i had a great time i had a great time great great and the students were very uh very receptive and the other thing about this just this one particular school it was six to six students in there and they were all female And they were all wanting to learn lighting and audio. And that made me, you know, I I was not, this is going to sound weird, but I wasn't like chauvinistic before I had daughters. But having daughters made me just be that more, much more defensive when it comes to uh, equal rights, right? Uh, Because I want my daughters to have everything that everyone else has, uh, including the white man, (laughs) So, speaking of the white man, um, if you follow me on the Tiki Talk, which I highly recommend you do, I really enjoy making food reviews, which I've started doing Jew reviews and I give it shalom's. You should follow that and uh, enjoy and like the Tiki Talk. You can just find me by my name. But yeah, this interview with Bernardo, uh, heads up, right at the beginning, he's got a little, there's a little audio issue. Uh, He's got a very, very sexy beard and it was causing some sound issues with his uh with his mic so uh, that got fixed you won't actually hear the fix or the complete fix so it'll sa- it all of a sudden get clear after a couple minutes but uh bear with us you know bear with that little annoyance if you will and uh it'll be fine and Bernardo and I went to college together. We went to the University of Houston now, and now he's killing it on the West Coast, and he hasn't always been on the West Coast. He'll talk about that, uh, but um, he's he's a successful playwright, and this, again, this series is designed to help you choose or potentially think outside the box when it comes to one-act play or even your fall plays, I mean, or whatever, whenever you do your plays. Some schools do their plays uh, after one-act play, but um, you can choose... Uh, to listen to these playwrights and choose their their stuff, choose to read it, reach out to them. That's the other great thing is I'm not interviewing dead playwrights. I tried. I've been trying to get a hold of Arthur Miller's people uh, to see if he would be interested, but it's, it's it hasn't been successful so far. So the ones that are living, you can reach out to them just like I did, right, via email or whatever, slide into their DMs, and you can – Talk to them about their product, about their shows, about their stories, and about how maybe you can tackle it with your students. Um, and that's the beauty of it. I absolutely loved doing that when I was teaching, and it was just a great way to, it also makes you look kind of cool to the students. They're like, whoa, you know so-and-so? And they're like, you're like, yeah, <laughs> but you don't. Anyway, uh, so enjoy this interview with Bernardo to my Jewish people, Shalom. Happy, uh, well, we had Rosh Hashanah last week, uh, L'shanah Tova and uh, Yom Kippur. I hope everybody has a, a good uh, Day of Atonement for the Jews out there. And uh, yeah, the, oh, the last thing. So uh, my daughter, Ava, had her birthday on Monday. Eleanor's birthday, as I record this, is tomorrow, Saturday, and her party is also tomorrow. Uh, my dad's yard site is today. Um, so this week, always, For the rest of my life, from September 18th to September 23rd, I will have birthday, death day, birthday. And the crazy thing is, on my dad's death day is also my uncle's birthday. And so today, as I record this, he is uh, (laughs) years old. So uh, happy birthday to my Uncle Steve. I think everybody has an Uncle Steve. I'm fairly certain. Anyway, my wife does. I do. That makes everybody. enjoy this. Interview with Bernardo Cubria. Bobby, I feel like you two could be good friends. Maybe that's racist. Enjoy.
1: I went to this weird international school in Houston. Oh, uh, okay. And so we didn't do any of that. So I didn't hear about one act or any of that shit until I was at U of H. Right. And then people were like, Oh yeah, was like the biggest moment of my life. Like, you know, Hernsberger or you know, anybody who did like Jessica Boone. I remember talking to me about the monologue she did at some competition. Yeah. Cause what was it called? Like tap or what is that well there's
0: taps uh taps yeah there's taps but that's uh that's the private school version of it but yeah Yeah. i just
1: remember people at u of h theater school talking about it yeah and i was like man you guys are so lucky like at my high school there were six of us and me and another friend were always the leads because we were the only ones who'd learn our lines everybody else would hold script during the plays, so it wasn't like you know it was just very different
0: so then what made you want to get into theater if you were kind of involved in a in a smaller uh type of environment like what was it about it
1: i mean look looking back now and after doing therapy and stuff like that you know <laughs> i i was always the cousin who made all the other cousins like put on a play for right. the grandparents at christmas that i would write direct and star in and force my poor brothers to participate in you yeah. know so i always loved it and i do have a very strong memory of going to jesus christ superstar with my parents yeah. in houston texas And this, I don't think I remember, but my mom talks about it, that I stood up when Jesus was crucified and asked them to take Jesus down from the cross because I was so upset. (laughs) I think I was five or six. You'd have to ask my mom. She can uh, (laughs) fact check all this. But then I got to meet the actors afterward because they thought it was so cute that some kid, you know, like if I was in a play, I would think that's awesome. Right. And so, but I was really in it. And then, you know, my mom took me to musicals all the time, especially in Mexico city. I saw so many like famous American musicals translating the Spanish. But, you know, I grew up in Texas in a Mexican home. There was not like, it wasn't even that my parents didn't allow me to. It's just that I didn't even think one could choose to be a theater person. Right, right. You know? I grew up in this Mexican home in Texas. I didn't know that you could be a theater person. Right. You know? And then a very long story short, when I graduated from high school in Houston, I went to college in Mexico because I thought I wanted to work in politics and be like a human rights activist. So I moved down to Mexico when I was 17 and I worked for Amnesty International in Monterey, Mexico, while I was in school, had a very difficult year. had a hard time adapting to that city, to that uh, culture. You know, it's weird growing up very proudly Mexican in the States, but then all of a sudden you're living in Monterey and I was, I felt like a fish out of water. And it was also a lot to take on to be working in human rights at 17 years old, to be honest. Anyway, when I got back to Houston, it was the summer, and the day that I was supposed to go back to Monterey, I literally couldn't move. Huh. I remember the feeling of being in my room. I have this memory of me. I just could not stand up. I don't know if it's a panic attack. I don't know what you would call it. Yeah. But I just could not move, and I did not want to go back. And my mom was really dope, and so was my dad, and they were like, you can stay. But their rule was, you can't drop out of school. You have to go to college. Right. And so their solution was, just go to U of H. Anybody gets in. I yeah. mean they let you in, yeah, right? So they yeah, let yeah, right, in right. right. Yeah. 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 So they let they they said anybody will get in. I didn't even apply. Just say, I just I just walked, yeah, yeah. I just walked, you just in walked, walked class. In, which we all knew, by the way, and talked about. Why is he here? <laughs> Someone tell him he's not a part of this school. No, uh, no, but I so I out of like, okay, I'll go to U of H here there's this art thing that you have to do one class, acting one, Carolyn Boone. Yeah. And dude, I walked into that class, one class with Carolyn Boone, and I got home and I told my parents, guess what? I don't want to be a human rights activist anymore. I'm going to be an actor. You know, (laughs) you can imagine how thrilled they were about that. (laughs) But I just felt like, oh, yeah, Yeah. this is always what I wanted to do. It just made so much sense. And Carolyn, who was your teacher also, and who's, you know, because this is about education, this podcast, I mean, I, I cannot tell you the impact that Carolyn Boone had on my life. Yeah. You know? it was just major. It changed the course of my life. Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah. You, and you mentioned, uh, Jim Johnson. Uh, yeah. what about, what about that guy? I don't want you to say too many nice things about him, but, uh, no, of
1: course I'm yeah. actually going to say mean things. Yeah. I'm happy. I finally have a platform <laughs> to speak out yeah. against the ills it's, that he committed on all of us. It's been 20 uh,
0: plus years. Yeah.
1: <laughs> 20 plus years. I mean, look, I think, The majority of the teachers we had at U of H, except for one who shall remain nameless, who he and I just didn't get along. I mean, he's a fine guy, but he just wasn't the teacher for me. You know, I don't think every teacher has to be for every student. Yeah. But the main thing was that, you know, about a year into the school, uh, you and a bunch of us started this thing called uh, the Unheard Voices, which was, you know, our reaction to the fact that our school was only doing plays by old white guys, Right. that you could only cast white people in. Right. And so a bunch of us who weren't those people, we started this theater troupe that we had no idea what we were doing, but we were like, we're the unheard voices. And I remember our tagline was theater beyond the dead white male. We were very proud of that. <laughs> kind of ahead of our time, to be frank. And, you know, the coolest thing I think those teachers did was instead of shutting it down or saying, hey, 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 you can't lead a revolt against what we do here. Yeah. They actually just gave us space. Yeah. And I remember Doc Sidney Berger, rest in peace, who ran our school. He called me into his office one day and he said, what do you need? How can I help you? Yeah. Which is very rare. He didn't say, hey, man, why don't you shut up and audition for Noises Off like the rest of them? He said, you want to do a Jose Rivera play? Cool. Here's the problem. You're going to have to rehearse like 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. And I was like, we'll do that. And, dude, we would. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but, like, I have memory of rehearsing a Timmy Wood play, you know, at 1 a.m. in the Jose Quintero Lounge uh lab because they gave us the keys
0: yeah yeah they
1: gave us access
0: well we and did i did brecht with uh, i mean i remember doing some of that when we did jungle yeah. cities but yeah oh yeah 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 so it's crazy
1: dude so you know that was what those teachers gave us and also you know guidance and yeah. they made us better and i mean carolyn was a ruthless acting teacher i yep. mean you know yeah i was deathly afraid of her and wanted her to like me so much you know but luckily, she did at some point, and you know, it it, it definitely gave me a lot of confidence. Yeah. You know? So. Uh, but yeah, U of H was an amazing, amazing place for me. Yeah.
0: So then, uh, go back a little bit, um, yeah. and we could sit here and talk about UH for a while. But uh, talk about your high school experience, because you mentioned you know you got parts because you got off book right but like but like what types of shows were you were you doing anything that was kind of wet in the whistle were you doing anything that you were proud of or you know like was it just kind of stuff to do stuff
1: no I mean I loved it I really loved theater and I had an amazing teacher uh Mr. Clark who is still alive and in Houston and who had a major impact on my life he would what's his first name Don Clark. Oh, okay.
0: Okay. No, oh. no, no. Because I had a major impact, Mr. Clark as well, but his name is oh, Ru- really? Russ Clark. But anyway. Really, Russ
1: Clark? Yeah. Oh, they should meet. Yeah. They should. they should start the Clarks or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, anyway. well, he was, he, you know, one, he thought that I, I had something, yep. you know, which when you're young, doesn't matter what it is. If someone tells you you're good at this thing, it means a lot. Yep. Right. And it encourages you to continue. But we did Midsummer Night's Dream, I remember, and I was in the 11th grade and I played bottom. And that was like crack cocaine because that's a foolproof role. Anybody can play it and you will get laughs. And, you know, I was on stage making people laugh and I've been, you know, chasing that high ever since. It's still all I care about now, you know. And then I remember my senior year, he let us do whatever we wanted and he let me do John Leguizamo's Freak. Which, you know, for a young Latino kid, like that was, Freak was everything. I mean, I remember seeing that on HBO, dude, and... I didn't know that Latino people did theater
2: Right.
1: right. <laughs> unless it was in Spanish. And it was a translation of an American play in Mexico city, right. you know, like, so getting to do that terribly, I'm sure I had no real training and I did a one man show, but, and someone else's one man show. Yeah. Right. But though that had, it just gave me confidence. Again, it's the ability to let kids play and fail.
0: Right.
1: It's the same thing that I'm talking about at U of H. I just think it's so important to let people go out there
0: you yep. know? So, yeah. and, and, and then post UH, uh, talk about it. What, what, what kind of, what have you been up to the last, uh, almost 20 years?
1: Yeah. Well, say again, to go to the education, I got another education post U of H because two mutual friends of ours, uh, Philip Hayes and Andrew Hearst, Andrew Hurst, when we were graduating said, Hey, I'm going to go to Italy to this commedia dell'arte clown school. Do you guys want to come with us? Yeah with me and Philip and I said, yes, we didn't know what he was talking about. We just were like, yeah, I'll go live in Italy for three months before I, you know, continue on with this terrible degree I got that won't get me any yeah. money ever in my life. And that we went to the school in Reggio Emilia, Northwest Italy called uh, the International School of Comedic Acting. And that fucking blew my mind too. It was a re-education on theater, on what theater could be, you know, it was very physical. It was about comedy. It was about the fool. All these things that I'm obsessed with and that I use in all my writing, you know, so that again, another huge moment where a mentor, Antonio Fava kind of taught me a lot of things, got my brain going. And so I did that. And then after that, I went back to Houston for a year. I always knew I wasn't going to stay in Houston, mostly because... You know, there were there was nothing for Latino people in Houston when I was there. Yeah. There's one guy who I loved Pablo Bracho. I don't know if you remember him.
0: No, you know, I don't he used to yeah. act
1: at the alley and he was like the Mexican guy at the alley. Yeah, okay. You
0: know, the token.
1: But you know, I don't mind saying names, but the guy who used to run the alley, you know, he didn't care about diversity no. and inclusion, yeah, yeah. And all that shit. So, you know, Pablo Bracho is always carrying a spear in the background. Right. And I was like, I don't want that to be my life. You know, I want more than this uh and so i was in houston for a year it was great uh, i got to do a lot of shows with our friends down there and there was nova arts project which doesn't exist anymore yeah. but all these really cool amazing indie theater companies mildred's umbrella that's still around that i fucking love and adore yeah but after a year i was like there's nothing for me here you know yeah it's just not going to work out for me as a mexican actor here it's just not and then i moved to new york yeah yeah um And New York was, you know, the first year was the hardest year of my life, probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Where where were you in New York? So I first moved to uh, Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, It was not at all gentrified. We lived in a a three-bedroom apartment, me and two friends. And uh, I think I was paying like $400 a month, which is insane in New York. Yeah. But we didn't have heating. That's why it was $400 a month. Yeah, there you
2: go. So
1: I would like literally go to bed with like my winter coat on. And I would lay under like three sheets <laughs> and I couldn't wait to wake up so that I could get to the subway and be warm again, right. you know, but it's hard, man. That first year, you know, you know, I was doing plays and like seven story walk-ups and you know, things like that. But you know, you're so broke, man. And right. I can't, you know, there's a real struggle and a real test of like, is this really what I want to do with my life? You sure. know, I sometimes wonder why I stayed. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's really hard. It's a yeah. really, really hard transition for anybody, especially if you go to a place where you don't know that many people. Right. You know, uh, but eventually I found this theater called Intar, which is the oldest Latino theater in the U.S. And through chance, when I got there, most of the artists working at this theater were uh, Mexican dudes from South Texas, from the Valley, <laughs> okay. from like you know uh, Alamo, Texas, right. and uh, West Licole, and you yeah. know yeah. far exactly. Yeah. And I was like, what? There are other Mexican kids from Texas who want to be theater people? (laughs) Like, you know, so the only one I'd ever met was Paul Salazar, you know? So it's like, oh my (laughs) God, and Roland, you know? So I was like, oh my God, this is fucking amazing. And that, a a huge moment in my life because I found my community in New York, you know? Like-minded people from similar backgrounds. We had a common language, you know, that mostly meant we made fun of each other, you know, nonstop and viciously, and that was our love language but those guys are still all my closest friends to this day,
0: you know? Uh,
1: but yeah, it it was amazing.
0: What, what do you think it is that kept you in New York? I mean, you, you kind of said, you don't know why you stayed and, 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 but what was it about it? Was there just some sort of bond? Was it too hard to like admit that maybe this coast was not the right choice or, I mean, what, what, what do you think it was? I think all of it, right? I think all big life choices are a mix of all of you, right? Yeah.
1: I think there's definite like I didn't want to go back to Houston and be that guy who had tried for a year and now was like working for my dad's friend's company doing something, you know, that I didn't want to do. I was afraid of that. I don't know why. I don't know why. If if that would make me happy, why should I care what other people think? But I do sadly, that's a, a sin of mine, right? And then I also think I just really wanted to try, you know? Right. I really, really wanted to give it a shot and not give it just enough time where I never knew if I actually could have succeeded or not.
2: Right.
1: You know? And then the truth is, once I found this family, then it felt like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm meant to be here. Right. And we're allowed to be here. And, you know, not that to keep harping on this, but, you know, to find that, oh, you are allowed to be a Latino artist doing this thing. Right. In that space, at least, at that time was very exciting sure, because it was what we were fighting for when we were doing unheard voices. Right. You know, it was like, we can do this as, you know, a marginalized people or whatever. So that I think was a reason to stay. Sure. And then, you know, I started working, I started booking commercials here or there. And, you know, a friend of mine always jokes that New York is like a fish tank. Right. And you're like one of millions of fish and then they drop food at the top <laughs> and you all swim up and sometimes you get a little flake yeah. and that's the reason you stay in the fish tank. Cause you're like, Instead of jumping out and getting the fuck out of the fish tank, right? Because you never get to eat. Every once in a while, you get a little flake and you're like, I'll probably get it again, you know? And so once I started getting those little flakes, like, you know, industrial, non union commercial, off, yeah. off, 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 off Broadway play, you know, and then those things get a little better and a little better. And next thing you know, you fucking live in the fish tank. You yeah. Know? You're just there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And you're hungry yeah uh, exactly. Yeah. So, the, <laughs> so then emaciated <laughs> so...
1: and you have depression you know yeah. a therapist now start yeah. playing dead
0: <laughs> uh so what what got you what made you go across the country then
1: so you know it's so weird man i i never thought i was moving to la
0: yeah
1: i got married i met my wife in new york um and you know i was very much in love and we got married we wanted to have kids and it just seemed like impossible to have kids. Not
0: the right place. Yeah.
1: But people do it, right? Yeah. But it wasn't even conscious. It's not like we sat down and had a meeting and we talked about it. My wife's brother lived in LA and we were like, let's go try out pilot season, which was a total lie. Cause it's not like I was at the point of my career where I was like going out for a billion pilots. <laughs> right. I just like happened to arrive at LA while pilot season was happening. Right. You know? Uh but what helped there again having a family to arrive to right a play of mine, a very strange play called Judgment of Fools that had been done in New York, uh, was going to be done by a theater company in L.A. that was just starting. Okay. And that just timed out perfectly with us coming for that first pilot season.
2: Right.
1: And so I showed up and I met these amazing artists at Ammunition Theater Company that I'm a part of still to this day. And that was like, oh, there's really good theater in L.A. There's amazing people in L.A. And all my judgments I had of it weren't right. real. You know, right. again, I, I thought I would hate LA and right. I fucking love LA. I really love living here. You yeah. Know?
0: uh, do you think that your experiences, good and bad? Uh, and I know the answer to this, but I'm going to let you elaborate, uh, are what kind of flavor your, your writing now?
1: Sure. Of course. I yeah. mean, it's all, you know, yeah. I mean, I hate to say it, but mo- most, I don't hate to say it. I don't know why I said I hate to say it. I, I think most of the writing usually Begins from a dark place, you know, it's usually a place of pain, something that, you know, uh, suppressed trauma or something, an incident that just occurred, and I can't figure it out in my head. And so I start writing about it so that I can survive it. You know, that's usually where it comes from. And then because I like comedy, I eventually try to turn that pain into making fun of it or laughing at it or getting over it through laughter, you know. But most of my plays have always started from a, from a dark place.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Is there, so that's, I mean, I don't want to say it's funny you said that, but I'm going to say it. Uh, It's funny you said that because uh, today as we record this, I was in front of uh, other theater educators talking about design and stuff and going through a process that I went through with my students uh, at times where we, uh, when we would write our own prompts or, you know, short plays, right? Yeah. Or monologues, yeah. whatever, and I would always tell my students, don't go dark, sex, violence, drugs, you know, uh, murder, all this kind of. Don't do that stuff because that stuff is too easy. It's too easy yeah. to like be bad, right? Yeah. It's hard to be good, yeah. Um, yeah. and so th- you saying comes from a dark place. I'm not saying it comes from drug, sex, and violence. I'm just yeah. you know, but. Is am I was have I been doing it wrong? (laughs) No,
1: I I don't think you're doing it wrong. I mean, you know, I think that if look, I think anything can be about anything. It's all about execution. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, I had a writing mentor who's like, "Oh, so you had an idea for a story? It's a sentence long. Like, you don't own that. Everyone's had that idea before, right? The only thing that makes you a writer is your execution of it, right? And now it's exciting nowadays because AI is about to take that from all of us. So that's really exciting. I'm just kidding. I hope not, but So I think anything can be about anything, but I think uh, for young writers, there is a tendency to really lean into the melodramatic or the hyper, you know, uh, it's kind of like crying, right? When we watch an actor cry, sometimes it's really boring because it seems like it was an easy thing for them to do actually, right? Rather than watching someone struggle not to feel those feelings because that's usually what we do in in life, right? Yeah. So I don't think you're wrong.
0: So do you... Like, your plays are full length. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Do you have shows, for the sake of the people listening to this thing, do you have shows that you could see yourself paring down to a one-act? Or do you even have one-acts? You know, sometimes sometimes playwrights have literally binders or notebooks full of stuff that they've never even tried to publish. Uh, Do you keep everything full length?
1: Everything has always been full length unless it's like 10 minute plays that I was, you know, asked to write or like there. I have all these terrible zoom plays that I wrote when we were all (laughs) fucking trying to survive the theater world on zoom, which was horrible, horrible, horrible. God bless us all. But, uh, but yeah, I have plays. I mean, especially for education and for younger people, right? I would love it if someone took any of my plays and turned it into a 40 minute version. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, you were saying before, I don't know if it's a part of the interview, but that some people don't allow that. Yeah, I'm, I'm like you insane person. Why wouldn't you want people (laughs) to do your work and learn your lines and give uh, kids, a, you know, at that age, it's just about being told that you belong and that you're allowed to do it.
2: Right. So I don't,
1: why would I make my ego more important than some 15 year old Mexican kid in Texas opportunity to like see himself in a play? Right. Uh, So yeah, I would love it if they did that.
0: Have you had full circle moments where you've had people come to you and say, thank you for giving me this opportunity to have a voice?
1: Yeah, I have. And that's been really moving, moving, you know, I mean, yeah, I've had, uh, you know, experiences with plays of mine where younger artists, you know, uh, talk about what being in that play means to them or whatever. And, you know, it's strange for me to talk about, but it's deeply moving and it feels like, okay, you know, because nobody does theater for money, right? Right. Like, that's not if you that's why you're here, you're wasting your time, right? Like, if anybody listening to this wants to be a theater person to make money, I have some really bad news. for you. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible, terrible news. That is not what will happen. But that's why you do it, you know, to impact the world to change the world to hopefully make the world a little bit better than the one you were born into, right? I mean, I think that's why we do it, right?
0: Yeah. And now that you're in your late sixties, uh yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, this won't come out for another twenty plus years. Uh oh, that's but good yeah. that's how long you hold them. That's yeah. smart. Yeah, that's because what...
1: the podcast is gonna be a huge form in 20 years, I think. <laughs> Everyone will still be listening. To yeah, that. it'll yeah. it'll all be
0: again AI generated <laughs> yeah. voices. Yeah, yeah. But uh yeah. 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 Uh <laughs> so do you th- this is a weird question and I've never asked this before, but um I'm a damn good interviewer after doing this so long. Anyway, I like do, you, do, you, do you have any plays that have backfired? Like your message ended up being kind of misinterpreted or uh, maybe it maybe it didn't necessarily backfire, but then you saw it on stage. Because, you know, it's like Shakespeare, right? People sure. always say, don't, don't read Shakespeare, perform it, right? Yeah. Um, you see it on stage and you're like, oh, that's not really what I meant. <laughs> And and not incriminating a director or actors. I mean, just, you know, your words were, oh.
1: I mean, never, maybe this is a sign that I'm a very egotistical person, but never like, oh, it was my fault. I mean, I've definitely, (laughs) every play of mine, I'm like, God, why didn't I change that line? Why didn't I do this? Like, it's never a, a, a positive experience sitting through your play. But I'll say I had this experience with a play of mine called Neighbors that's about the US and Mexico, basically. And it was done in this town called The Villages in Florida. Do you know about that place? No. So it was the number one county in the U.S. to donate to Donald Trump to give you ah. a sense of where this play was done. Okay. And this play is very anti-wall, very pro-Mexican immigrant. You yeah, know. yeah. This is the message of the play. And this amazing woman, Whitney Morris, who runs a theater down there, she put on the play to kind of challenge her audience. Mm. And uh, it was probably in, in one of Flor- the most- You're talking
0: about in Florida. In Florida. It. Okay, okay. In The Villages, right. Florida, okay. right? yeah.
1: So I was living in L.A., I get a call from this woman, Whitney and the village is Florida. We want to do your play. Amazing. Do it. How great. Uh, And it was one of the most kind of meaningful theater experiences because the audience was not the choir. You know, usually in the theater world, you're preaching to the choir, especially in New York and LA. I mean, it's like, you know, it's progressives performing for progressives. And, I, and sometimes it's just like, who can be more progressive? Right. It's like a com- competition, right? right? And I am a deeply progressive person, but I, that doesn't mean I just want my plays done for those people because right. then I'm not changing the world. Right. So it was cool, man. And it was interesting. And I'll say uh, I saw the show three times and during one of the performances, there's a moment where a white character calls a Latino character uh, a slur, a yeah. like, racial slur. And someone uh, claps. Like applauded the oh. use of the racial slur. <laughs> uh huh. And I will say, I was horrified.
0: And that's when you met Donald Trump. Uh,
1: yeah, and we became <laughs> friends. Yeah, and I'm here to plug Trump Steaks. Uh, Trump, Trump Steaks, st- the best steak you will
0: ever have. <laughs> yeah, it's very red. Uh,
1: you get two if you sign up for Trump University now. Um,
0: <laughs> anyway, no. So, so it yeah. was
1: quite a moment. Yeah. And so to your point, I said, "Oh God, I don't think this guy's getting the point of the play." <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I was like, fuck yeah. Like I'm, I'm pushing some buttons in this room. Right. And it was cool. The talkbacks after that play were, you know, talkbacks are usually horrible and a waste of everyone's time. These were exciting. I mean, I got into it with some folks, you know, in a cool way, in a respectful, you know, way. I don't know that I changed anyone's political opinion, but I at least felt like I was able to stand up for mine,
0: you know, which is cool. Yeah. And you, yeah, Yeah. feeling safe. I mean, political debate is not a brand new thing but it's yeah the way it's done now is a brand new thing so exactly yeah exactly yeah, yeah. uh w- what um what made you dive into writing because all this time you've talked about your background not once did you really mention that you were writing so when when did you kind of start when was it when did the switch go off that you were like oh this this playwriting thing is actually uh doing well
1: so, you know, again, looking back, I always wrote like terrible rhyming poems in high school, listening <laughs> yeah. to The Cure, you know, or yeah. whatever. That's why you were you single had... for a long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And you always made fun of me for it, which was painful <laughs> and hurtful. I was and just, I, the yeah. only reason I agreed to do the podcast was so we could talk about this.
0: I was just jealous because <laughs> I had all the girls and well, I, it was crazy. I I needed I some U-H, alone time. Yeah, They
1: called you. Yeah, that's what we knew about you. Uh <laughs> No, but so I always wrote poems and like I wrote an OJ Simpson play in the seventh grade because I was obsessed with Saturday Night Live. So I think I was just ripping off those sketches. But you know, the truth is, when I got to New York, when you're an out of work actor, there's a lot of downtime. Yeah. And a friend of mine said to me, look, dude, if you want to have more control over what's being said to the world, right? Because I was getting frustrated auditioning for like, Mexican number four, undocumented man seven, uh, you know, all the Miguel's, well, uh, you, and all,
0: you know. You were turning into the guy from the alley. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Dude, I've never thought of it that yeah, Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: It, in New York, right? Yeah. And a friend of mine who's an amazing playwright himself, Mondo Alvarado, said, Dude, the only way to have power is you have to write your own stories. That's right. the only way to have control over what you're saying to the world. And he was 100% right. And so that's when I started writing. And, uh, you know, another shout out to Houston. The first play I wrote in earnest in New York was this play called Down Boy. Mm -hmm. And uh, Wordsmith Theater Company that Elizabeth Earle runs down there, they did a public reading of it. And that was huge for me because I didn't know that what I wrote, anybody would ever approve of it. And then we did a reading in Houston in front of all of my parents' friends, which was really awkward because there's a lot of sex in that play, and you know, it was like <laughs> not a uh, positive evening for me but out of embarrassment of right. my parents' friends, you yeah. know. But like my Houston peeps came out, you know, and it was exciting. It was like, you know. So again, uh, thank you, Houston. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. So I'm gonna ask an ignorant question. How how do you get your stuff out there? Like what? Like do you have to? is it just your own hustle or is it, uh, uh, you know, a publishing company has to pick up your work? I mean, what, what is it that gets you out there?
1: You know, everyone does it differently. What I would recommend for young people listening to this is go to Yale or Juilliard because they're a mafia and they run the fucking industry. Yeah, yeah. Go to their playwriting schools and then you'll get a good agent young yeah. and you'll, it'll make it a lot easier for you. Right. But for most of us, You just, it's your hustle, man. It is, you know, there are places like new play exchange is an amazing website where you put up your plays. All of mine are up there. Right. Right. And then you can read other people's plays and people review your plays and that they, they get done because of that. right? Right. Like neighbors in Florida, uh, you know, that they read it on new play exchange. I, a play of mine's being done at Rutgers university next year, that's through new play exchange, you know? Uh, so that's really helpful, especially when you're young and you don't have an agent. Right. Uh, and then the truth is, man, what I've learned is it's just all the people you meet along the way, right. you know, it really is who, you know, it's your network. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's your network. And, you know, I think one of the reasons that, you know, it took me a long time to make a living doing what I do. And, you know, I think one of the reasons is just cause I stayed because at some point they go fine. Okay. Give him a chance. This guy, he's still here, <laughs> you know? Okay. We'll put on your play. And, you know, that helps. Cause then your play gets done. If it does well, then people talk about it, you know? but I used to submit, there's also a thing, I think it's called play submission helper.net and it has every deadline for things as small as like a reading festival, you know, just of all levels. And, you know, I would submit my play five times a day and sometimes pay $40, $70 to submit my play, you know, but that way you hope that people (laughs) will pick it up and that they'll do it. You know,
0: uh, another ignorant question and i know yeah. that i again this may be one that i actually know the answer to uh, in in the big picture but i want a more granular answer how do you know when your play is done well i never feel that it is
1: done right. i know that's that's that's, that's, or that's the that's yeah. the big an- <laughs> end yeah. yeah i mean look my recommendation is you write a first draft and i think the biggest mistake people make is they try to write a perfect first draft Right, And that's why most people don't finish things they write. Anybody can write, but anybody can. The, the, the real thing, the difference between writers and non-writers is that writers uh, finish it. Right. They get to the end, right? So I had an amazing playwriting teacher in New York who said, you know, his, his big advice when you're starting out was buy a bottle of your favorite booze, lock yourself in your apartment on Friday, start a play. And on Sunday, write end of play, right. turn off your cell phone, turn off the TV and just go and don't rewrite at all while you're doing this just fucking go yeah
2: because
1: then you'll get to the end of a first draft and then then the real work starts right? right and this is a long way to get to your answer which is the answer to your question which is then you invite your friends over you read it you invite six seven of your favorite friends you think have smart theater opinions yeah you ask them for feedback and then you do your second draft you invite those people again if they're nice enough or different people you think are smart you do another reading and then at some point you go, okay, I'm ready for this to be at least workshopped right. or something or a public reading to hear it with an audience because that's when you really know. An yeah. audience will tell you what your play is. I mean, when your pay, play is not that good, about five minutes in, the audience will let you know. Yeah. And then you have to sit there for another hour and a half and your soul dies and you hate yourself. <laughs> but that's it. The audience will always, always tell you.
0: Yeah. You know? uh are you proud of your message thus far my message you mean in my place yeah 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 you because you you've definitely uh made it a point and rightfully so to talk about how you know it's the doing the work that you didn't think was ever possible right as yeah. a latino uh, growing yeah. up in texas and a mexican american and and do you think now, uh, at again, 87 years of age, yeah, uh, yeah. amazing that. <laughs> yeah. And only a little gray. Uh, yeah. That I think you've... I just,
1: I'm 17 years older in the span of 10 minutes of this interview, <laughs> well, which is your fault then I, that's your fault. I,
0: I'm, I, you know how you can like speed up and slow down a podcast. I'm slowing uh, this w- well, way wow, down, way down. Wow.
1: It's this show's actually, amazing. going for a world
0: record, uh, <laughs> podcast episode. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I'm gonna keep that clip of you saying the show is amazing. Please, please, (laughs) please. It can be your opener. Yeah. Anyway, but are you? Do you think that you have been successful in kind of? I I hate the word preaching, uh, but again, I'm not smart enough to figure out uh, a better word. Um, But do you think you've been successful thus far? I know you're not done, but
1: I mean, I, I think. You're always a part of a
0: movement. There's always a larger thing
1: happening, yeah. and you're, like, just putting your little seed in the garden, right? right. Like at U of H with Unheard Voices, right? Uh, a lot of us put a lot of work into that thing. Right. And we did change how that school thought about uh, representing a larger uh, uh, percentage of, of the population. Right. Especially the city of Houston and, and looking like, you know, the people who don't live in certain neighborhoods in Houston, Right. right. And uh, that was a lot of us who put a lot of work into it that made that change. And by the way, a lot of people were fighting that fight all over the country. Right. And so where we're at today is way better than where we were at 20 years ago when I was in theater school. And so I do think in the smallest possible way, I have been one of the millions of people fighting for that change. And I am proud to be one of the millions of people fighting yeah. for that change.
0: Do yeah. you? Do you feel like you've been feeding more fish? Yeah,
1: sure. I'll okay. take
0: that. Yeah. I, I both think I am eating more. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, enough <laughs> for, for me. You know, here's the yeah. truth. Once you have kids, like, that's the real moment, right? Yeah. Can I keep doing this? I mean, yep. you have kids, right? So, yep. you know, it's just Allegedly. your life changes. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. Allegedly. yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. They're in your house. Well, you have to accept it. I get
0: that. Yeah. Call <laughs> them in. Call them. Wake
1: them up <laughs> and call them in say this guy i haven't spoken to in 20 years. They once
0: show up, both they both have yeah. beards as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Girls, geez. Amazing, they're beautiful. No, yeah, whatever. Hey, man. Uh no, so you know, once you have kids, that's a yeah. real make or break moment, I think for a lot of people. And I was lucky that by the time I got to having kids, you know, I was in a different place with the amount of food I'm getting, right? And then yeah, I, I you know, I hope that my work is employing people. That's yeah. an exciting way to think of it. Yeah how old are your kids uh i have a five and a half year old son diego
0: yeah
1: it was amazing and i have a one and a half year old daughter paloma yeah okay,
0: so four years apart that's good yeah. that's good okay what about it's you same you same it's four years apart oh, wow. about to be seven and eleven so wow, and i'm gonna wow. say it in that order for a solid year because it's seven eleven right not so know. fun yeah it's not fun <laughs> saying 11 and seven that's dumb. no no
1: nobody wants
0: uh, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh uh yeah two two girls uh and they're okay but um uh do you for your five and a half year old, uh, thank you for throwing in the half because I know that he somewhere he's he, he hears you and he's like no he's yelling half, yeah yeah half, half. half. yes you, this is very give important give me that him. give me that half oh he's not a five year old he hates that <laughs> yeah right yeah. Ugh, the lesser's uh, yes. but are you uh, are when do you feel that you're going to start giving them the the right to to feel that they are empowered to have that message and that's not saying that you can't empower a five and a half year old i'm yeah. saying like right now a five and a half year old is it's not all clicking no offense yeah. I'd, I'd probably no, differ no, with your kid you know i mean right? yeah.
1: i wish it was more clicking. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I would
0: <laughs> more. yeah. But, but i mean like when are, at what point in his youth do you say go fight the good fight you know what i mean
1: Well, we tried to show him that, like I took him to, you know, I'm part of the WGA and we're on strike right now. And so we took my kids to a big protest, you know, and tried to explain to them why we were there. You know, again, he's five and a half. Does he get it? But he was excited by it, you know, and he could sense an energy. You know, my wife is Jewish and I'm Mexican and we're both really proud of that. Yeah. And we're proud that our kids are both things. And so they definitely know that, you know, and they know that we care about it. Right. And I try not to preach to them about that stuff, but, you know, we celebrate, you know, Passover and we celebrate, you know, a posada in Mexico with my family in Mexico, you know, and we try to show how cool that is that they get to have both of those things in their lives, you know, uh, have we told them that both of those groups are targeted, uh, by hate groups in this country? No, not no. yet, but at some point they <laughs> yeah. will learn that the way that I did, you yeah. know, or I'm sure you did too, right? Yeah. Like there's a moment where you go, Oh, Oh, fun. I'm another. That's great. Yeah. That'll be an interesting part of my life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not, not uh, to, not to, not to elaborate on that topic, but <laughs> why not? Uh, it's, it's my podcast. I to do what I want. Um, the, you know i jokingly said when before we started recording about like move to tomball the most progressive you know blah blah yeah. blah well it, not to make light of that but my you know the whole targeting thing cuz it's a big it's a big thing right now like it's like yeah. it's a little scary in in some regards but uh it's to the point where my wife who is not jewish uh doesn't want to put any like a, a, is, is afraid to put a menorah out, you know, like a, like the cheesy, the like blow up. Or, yeah. The, anything like that. Anything that, that shows that, that there's a Jewish person in this house because there's just so much ignorance with uh, how they're being treated, uh, how we are being treated. Um, that said, I've never personally felt uh, sure. uh, so worried, um, but she never, she's never grown up in a, she's a white woman that grew up Christian sure. in, in Dallas, Texas. I mean, it's yeah. like, it's like, you can't get more stereotypical than that, but, uh, yeah. so she's just never experienced it, but. Well, I It's assume- scary, man. I mean,
1: it is, you know, when you have kids, it's yeah. scary, you know, I mean, I think about it a lot, you know, that, and maybe this is not where your podcast usually goes, but like care. for me, right. Like, you know, a lot of the stuff that I grew up having, right. Like when I was three years old, having a man at a restaurant tell my grandfather to go back to his country, right. you know, in Houston, right? You know, those things, they stay with you, whether you know it or not, they're in you somehow, right? right? And so the question is, how can we share this with our kids to protect them, but also not sh- scar them before they even, you right. know, like it's a balance, it's hard, right?
2: Yeah.
1: I, right now I'm dedicated to showing my kid the dope shit that he gets to do because he's Mexican and Jewish, right? right. It's right. like, dude, we're gonna play dreidel. It's gambling, it's super fun. Like we're gonna have a good time. <laughs> yeah. You know, like like we're gonna watch the Mexican team during the World Cup. Like these are good things. Yeah. You know? Sorry about that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah. That was not a good thing. Why did I? Yeah. Give
0: him that? I was. I'm like maybe. <laughs>
1: I should tell him you're you're Argentine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Root for that guy that's yeah, in Miami yeah, now. You're an Argentine.
1: Uh... <laughs> you root for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh...
0: <laughs> so, but whoever's won. Yeah. yeah. So, well, he's gonna find. Well, both your kids are gonna find out very soon that. Uh, daddy's heritage has better food than mommy's heritage Oh, uh, for sure. <laughs> like i'm happy you said that i'm not allowed yeah. to say it but
1: that's pretty simple i think like, that's an easy one yeah
0: here, here here's here kids here's uh delicious seasoned <laughs> food and then yes. on our side it's here kids here's a celery stalk and an egg <laughs> yes yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so anyway yeah it's but true. it's true uh, <laughs> but so, okay. So then another playwright ignorant question on my part, partially cause I'm jelly and I want to be one. Um, I just have to finish. That's what you said. I just yeah, have to finish. That's it. That's so, it. Yeah. So how do you, do you actually, I shouldn't ask how do you, do you ever make yourself chill with the message? Meaning that you feel like maybe you're hitting, The audience over the head a little too hard or do you just go for the jugular
1: no i mean the truth is i hope my plays are not about saying i'm mexican right right i I hope my plays are about universal truths and that they're funny i mean a lot of my plays are kind of clown plays that don't even talk about identity right but i hope that the fact that i'm doing that is the revolution right right because for a long time we were told we were only allowed to write a specific kind of play, right? right? Plays about narcos, plays about undocumented people, you know? And so, especially in TV and film also, my, my goal is to be allowed to do just things about human shit. Right. And then let the fact that I am from where I'm from be the political message behind it. Right. right? Um, Show that we too can do that. Right. Um, So, so I don't try to make my plays, um, you know, uh, preachy uh, cuz i don't like usually sure. preachy things you know but i do like things that say something and have something to say about the world
0: you know do you, so uh, th- there's a there's a woman who uh i don't think you've ever met you i feel like you will at some point um her name's destiny miller and she's kind of a legend in texas oh, cool. theater education and she's younger yeah. than us uh mid 30s and she just left theater. She just left theater education after going to state and also winning. But going to state, I think five or six years in a row, which is wow. unheard of. Wow. And uh, worked at Bush High School, which I don't, I don't remember how old Bush High School is. I think it was here early 2000s, but it's in Fort okay. Bend. It's predominantly a, an African American school. Cool. And she walked in and had success like almost immediately, and it had a lot to do with buy-in. Right? They just, wow. they just believed in her message uh, a personal message <clears throat> so one the reason i bring her up is because one thing she said to me one time because <clears throat> i asked her a very similar question and i should have learned my lesson about the message right and uh why she chose a show and we're like mm-hmm. very good friends this was like yeah. just private over drinks Sure, sure, and sure. she said something to the effect of i'm tired of doing shows that have a message yeah i, I, oh, yeah. I want to do black shows showing just black life right and black life is not always violent and black life is not um the stereotypes i want to show just like people hanging out and what they do and the just the regular life element not the stuff you see in the news or excuse me the you know tv shows or anything like that and so what you just said resonates with me and i realize it's the same thing it's like it's not about slapping people in the face with a message it is still about empowerment but um but I guess you know I'm I'm looking at pictures of your of your current show, the crabs in a bucket, or you yeah. know the current one being produced, I guess uh, that that you're publicizing. But and the pictures are ridiculous. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's insane. <laughs> well, so I'll tell you to so, your point. Yeah, I wrote that play five years ago, okay. and it was of all my plays, the most rejected play I've ever written. Okay. Like just the first year I sent it out, just not not even a bite for a reading, like nowhere.
0: Pardon the pun. Yeah,
1: and yeah, exactly. And I was getting a ton of letters, like rejection notes, saying, we like your play, but it's not Latino. Gotcha. And it made me insane because I thought, well, I wrote it, so it is. Right. What does that mean? What is a fucking Latino play to you, right? Because we don't think this way about ourselves because we're humans. Like, we all are, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think something makes a thing a thing except for the person who created it, you know? Uh, And so I then wrote a different play, that did well and kind of opened a bunch of doors called the play you want, which is about a Mexican playwright named Bernardo. I didn't hide anything (laughs) who jokingly pitches this play called Narcocos, which is about drug dealers on day of the dead. Okay. Okay. About Narcos on day of the dead. Right. And the idea it's like the producers, but Mexican style. And the more racist he makes it, the more successful it becomes. And eventually Lin-Manuel's in it. It goes to Broadway, John Leguizamo, Gloria, Stefan J are in it. And it becomes this whole thing the more stereotypical he makes it. And the message of that play was basically me yelling, will you let me do crabs in a bucket? And what's crazy and kind of amazing and not at all intentional was it did allow me to do crabs in a bucket Yeah, because that play did well. It opened a lot of doors for me, got me my manager. It got, you know, a lot of amazing things. Uh, I had an amazing team behind it, which helped a lot. And then now I get to do crabs in a bucket, which is an existential comedy about crabs and about, you know, community and. You know, what happens when people don't support one another? Right.
0: You know? Huh. Have you ever seen, uh, the deadliest catch? No. Oh, wow. Well, Wait, the sure. show? The yeah, reality yeah, yeah, show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they catch crabs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, never. I never have. Okay. I just did that. Yeah. If they're up in the, uh, the, uh, Br- uh, not Bermuda. What the hell? Up in Alaska. The, uh, oh, uh, yeah, uh yeah. The, whatever. I'm, it's failing me right now. I watch it all the time, but, um, yeah they're up in alaska you know they're close to the close to the southern or southeast russian border and stuff anyway um and wow. they they it's a show about them just throwing you know steel cages out in the water and catching crabs but how cool but, but uh i only ask because you know i don't i don't know what kind of research you did you know uh <laughs> but yeah these pictures look uh really really good i mean there's a lot of contrast because of the color of the crabs and then the sort of that that amberish red background but yeah
1: um, the yeah. designers are amazing lou cranch did the costumes and i can't tell you how amazing
0: yeah
2: uh,
1: they are and yeah it's been everybody who watches the play as they're walking out you know sometimes people don't know the playwright standing there and i hear what they're saying you know yeah. and everybody mentions the costumes they're yeah. just amazing yeah
0: uh so uh i'll ask you a couple more questions and i'll get you out of here because uh you know at 103 years old it's getting late for yeah you, so. it's time Oh uh, my god, uh, I'm about to die. Really do I die at the end of this interview? <laughs> this
1: is terrifying. Hey,
0: you said finish it. Uh, anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Please end this quest.
0: End it. end this, So, meaningless uh, quest I've been on. So, yeah, so do you, I've also heard this about playwrights, and again, ignorant, don't know the answer. Uh, do you have a, kind of a, and you don't need to name names, do you have a go-to, like, team that you really like to... Work with. Uh, you mentioned the theater earlier that you kind of work with oh, in L.A., sure. but but like when you um, to expand upon you talking about writing a play, invite your friends over, write write a second draft. Invite. Do you have that go to group of people that kind of fill in the holes where you where you need them to?
1: Oh yeah, okay. I mean, another piece of advice for young people is surround yourself with people that are better than you. Yeah, it's the best thing you can possibly do. You know, this is a strange analogy, but. When I was in uh, the sixth grade, my brother was in ninth grade. And one summer, all I did was play basketball with ninth graders.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. And I was not the best basketball player in sixth grade. In seventh grade, I was one of the best basketball players because I had played with people who were better than me for the whole summer. Right. And the first weeks, it sucked and it was embarrassing and it forced me to get better. Yeah. And that always taught me at that young age, like, why would you not want to be surrounded by people who are better than you? Right. And I do that still constantly. I collect talented people, you know? Uh, like the lead of, um, there are two of the women in my play, Sochi Romero and Ana La Madrid. I've known both of them for a very long time. Anna and I did a short play festival in New York 16 years ago. Sochi is one of my best friends. I put her in everything I write right. because they're fucking good, yeah. you know? Um, and they make me better. They challenge me. They ask more questions, you know? They make lines that aren't that funny on the page funny because they're better than their line, you know, right. and I'm thrilled that that happens because I win, you know, yeah. you always win when you surround yourself with better people
0: always it, is writing comedy similar to stand up where uh, in your mind, it sounded really funny. And then oh, yeah. you you go out in front of an audience and you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, it's horrible. And- yeah, I mean. There are still lines
1: and crabs in a bucket that die every night, you know, but at some point you have to stop changing lines, you know, and then there are lines that you didn't even think were funny and they get a huge laugh and you're like, oh, okay. And you learned meant to do that, but exactly. And then you pretend it was always meant to be the funniest line in the play, you know, but I mean, I love it. I love that hearing it. I, one thing I wish in the American theater was that previews were longer Yeah. because if you get a lot of previews, then I could really fine tune those jokes, you know? Because the audience is constantly teaching you, right? What is funny and what's not? Always, always, always.
0: Yeah, that's one of. So uh, again, bringing it back to the one act play world, uh, that's one of the problems with doing comedies in one act play. Like a full fledged, I I don't want to say, com- shows that are like meant to be just a hundred. They're just a hundred percent comedy, right? Yeah. Uh Is that one of the one of the issues? Is that the director does their students a disservice by not ever performing a preview. And so sometimes the first performance they do is in front of an audience and in front of judges, right? Adjudicators that are deciding if your play is better than the other plays that are being presented that that evening. And so comedies traditionally, because of the disservice of directors. Now, comedies of one state before that just did this past year, there have been great comedies. Uh, we did a comedy and it went pretty far anyway i digress um yeah thank you uh it didn't no, again it had nothing to do with me it was the actors
1: yeah, but yeah.
0: um but the directors don't just don't give their students the proper uh training i guess if you will in the in the rehearsal process to let those jokes hit or find out which oh, yeah. which lines are going to uh are going to hit it's just it's very difficult but i didn't that wasn't a question just to No, I
1: mean, I think that's a mistake, right? You have to – you don't know if something's funny until you say it out loud. There's just no way that you would know. You can think it is, yeah. and you get better at knowing, by the way. I think I have gotten better. I think I'm quicker at understanding, oh, if I cut these two words, you know. Right. Also, you probably feel this way. At this point in theater, I can sometimes tell an actor, dude, if you actually lift your head and look a little bit right, you'll get a laugh there, you know? Like, you just learn these things. There's, like, these tricks that, like – Ruddy Cravens, who's like a yeah. Houston legend. like He was doing that shit when we were acting, when we were watching him in Houston Shakespeare Festival because he had 30 years experience. Right. And we were young. We didn't get like, oh, this motherfucker just knows, man. Yeah, He's got 30 years of understanding. You turn out on that line in that Shakespeare play and it will murder. Yeah, And he's a genius. That's why he's so good. Yeah,
0: know? the timing and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, is your wife a good barometer for your writing? Yes, the okay. best probably. Okay. Yeah, okay. I mean-
1: you know my wife has been uh you know an inspiration for a lot of things and you know she's the per- first person to hear things you right.
2: know that's i think a-
1: the thing she dreads the most is me saying at night can i read you something real quick because it's usually like 10 p.m. and it means that i'll be reading till 10:30 yeah. you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she usually gives me the best notes
0: you know yeah i i ask that because like my wife is tired of dad jokes like but i yeah. know that if if she truly gets tickled by something like oh, yeah. that's a that is a golden Like whatever I just said, I've got to hold on to forever, right? Because I can use that. I can go back to that. Uh, At least you know, in the rule of the rule of three in comedy. But uh, but she's a good barometer for me to understand what was genuinely very funny. Uh,
1: I mean, my my wife is not a laugher. Yeah, like you don't want my wife at your opening night. (laughs) She's not giving you anything, even if she loves it. right? Right. Right. My wife is not the person you want in the seats. Right. So when she laughs it loud to something I wrote in a play yeah I'm like oh my god yeah you know it's yeah. very like those people are the hardest yeah know? that's what yeah. I mean
0: is the tough barometer you know yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so uh I want to get you out of here on this um this is a question I ask most at most of my educators that are interviewed on here but it's um it's it's relevant for you too if you could go back to 17 year old Bernardo that went off to be, went off to, what did you say? Monterey. Uh, yeah,
2: uh-huh.
0: and give that 17 year old kid some advice on what they should do to, uh, be okay. To like, to have a sense of calm, to have a sense of like, everything's going to work out. Cause, cause the way you explained it, the, what is it the day or two before you were about to leave or whatever, yeah. you literally, you know, par- were paralyzed. Yeah. So <laughs> What would be something now that you could tell that younger version of you, uh, being that we're ending this podcast at 163 years old? It's amazing. Uh, is there a record? You sound there, great. Why are people calling?
1: This is a world record. <laughs> Finally, I'll, anyway. I'll be world.
0: But yeah. So, <clears throat> what is that? 100 146 years ago. Uh, what would you tell? <laughs> what would you tell yourself?
1: Yeah. I mean. I would say when you're going to live to be 162, which is amazing. <laughs> so you got a lot of time, you know, take your time. Yeah, don't You're rush like a someone. turtle. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 You're fine, bro. You're fine. Uh, no, I mean, I think for me personally, I wish I had spent less of my life caring what other people think of me. Yeah. You know, that's the biggest, I still do. I, 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 I'm not saying this as someone who has learned that lesson, right. I'm better at it than I was. But, you know, for a very long time, especially when I first got to New York, I was so scared when I first got to New York that I think, you know, you can tell me if this is right or wrong because you were there. But I think of myself at U of H as a pretty bold person who was pretty aware of who I was and, you know, pretty vocal and okay with who I was. Yeah. And when I got to New York, a lot of that got quiet because it was so big and so scary and so intimidating that I wanted to be accepted. And I think it took me a long time to get back to that sort of boldness that I had when I was at U of H, to be honest. yeah. And I think part of that was at U of H, I wanted everyone to like me, obviously, but I think I knew that we all liked each other because it was a very n- nice place to be. And New York was so big that I didn't know that. And then I started altering or changing or at least feeling scared a lot. Instead of just being like, no, I am who I am. And if people like that, that's great. They belong in your life. And if they don't, that's fine. Even as an artist, right? They don't cast you in the thing. You're just not right for them. That doesn't mean you're a bad actor or a bad writer, you know? So I, I wish I had learned that lesson early in
2: life. Minor wisdom.